My heart is full this morning when you see that the hallelujahs are being multiplied at New Covenant Fellowship and that the faith is being passed down from one generation to the next. Hallelujah, we learned not so long ago means God be praised. So let's just all say hallelujah together so God gets all the praise and glory. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God be praised. Amen. Well, today is um, Communion Sunday. It's kind of uh, a, a unique tradition of ours is to celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. And that's that's become a tradition. I don't even know how many years we used to do it at various times, but we've landed on that. And also, along with that tradition, the last several years have also tried to incorporate preaching something uh, different on Communion Sundays. So we take a break from our regular book. And for Communion Sundays, we've studied such things as the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, some Proverbs. And now, for over a year, we've been in the Book of Psalms. The, books, the Book of Psalms is an incredible book. And it it explains an array of experiences and emotions um, and degrees of faith from those that went before us, the, the saints of the Old Testament. They, they had a different form of God's word, but they had God and God's presence and they had God's word. And the, ser- the series in the book of Psalms is entitled God Tunes because Psalms are literally songs. And they were inspired by God to be written, to be penned and to to be preserved so that the saints of God always had good, rich lyrics to sing back to him and to offer him praise. The psalmists cover a lot of territory when it comes to life. And we've learned that they sing about striving and they write and sing about thriving. They sing about their successes and their failures. They sing about the ups and downs of their life. And they sing about their fears, their moments of fears, their moments of despair. They sing about their the times of their life when they were just encouraged and filled with courage and filled with faith. Big faith. They sing about joys. They sing about blessings. And all of this is because to live for God in this fallen world. And to live for God and believe in God, even when our own flesh fights against us. It's a hard thing to do. And, but they write lyrics. They put their experiences and their, their um, life of faith into words. And my goal has been that we can learn from the saints of old. That we can learn from them as they pour their hearts out. What kept them going? What kind of things did they choose to focus on when they were at their lowest point? And what can we learn from that? What can we learn when, yes, they they failed. They turned their backs on God. They backslid. What can we learn when they were at their strongest moments through their lyrics? So through these psalms, we want to get such a vision of God that our hearts are also strengthened, that they're edified, That we can learn from them so that we can go farther. Because scripture is preserved for our edification. Things happen in the past so that we can learn from them and go farther and dig deeper and be richer in Christ today. 
So it's it's been a, a vision in the book of Psalms by looking at those that our hearts, we would get such a vision of God that our hearts would just be overfilled with praise and adoration of him. And that's one of the reasons that we actually have our worship, our time of praise after the sermon. It gives us an opportunity to respond to what God has spoken to us in his holy word. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 to Protestants is known as Martin Luther's psalm. And the reason it's known as Martin Luther's psalm is because this is a psalm that he took to pen his hymn that has become a a bulwark in the church. A mighty fortress is our God. It all comes from this particular psalm. Now, Luther is most known for the scripture that that discovered him, I think, would probably be more accurate to say. In Romans 117, where he says the just shall live by faith. And that scripture, as well as others that say the same thing throughout the Bible, gripped his heart. And God used that scripture really to, I believe, preserve or say, save the gospel From a gospel of works, which is where the church was headed in his day, to a gospel of salvation by faith. Faith alone, in Christ alone, through scripture alone. What am I missing? Faith alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. So the Lord used these scriptures in Martin Luther's life, I believe, to save the gospel from works righteousness. And he loved those scriptures. But he also loved the Psalms. And in particularly, Psalm 46. Now, he was a doctor of theology, and so he taught the Psalms many, many times. He loved the Psalms. And he would turn to the Psalms. He did not have an easy life, as you know, because of his stance for the gospel. Many times his life was in danger. And other times, he just was discouraged in the faith. Other times he was depressed. Yes, people, the saints of old, those that are renowned today, who we look back and we think, how did you, how were you so strong? How did you accomplish so much? They had weaknesses just like we do. They had bad days just like we do. Martin Luther had bad days. And and on top of discouragement and bouts of depression, he also oftentimes felt very oppressed by the enemy. The enemy was was real and present to him. And if you would walk by his room, they say, in that day, you might hear him talking to the enemy and rebuking the enemy. As a matter of fact, it's said that one day the enemy felt so uh, oppressive to him and closed in on him that he picked up an ink bottle and threw it across the room at the enemy to rebuke him. It's often said that during these times of lowness in his life that he would take his good friend, Philip Melanchthon, who became his successor, take him to the side and he'd he'd say, let's sing the psalm. And he was referring to Psalm 46, but more specifically, the hymn that he wrote out of Psalm 46. And they would sing, a mighty fortress is our God to lift their spirits. 
Before I read these words, and it's only 11 verses, we'll read the psalm in its entirety. I just want you to to stop and, and in the privacy of your own heart, think about where you are today with your walk with God. Are you exalting God in your heart? Where are you? Are you are you at a point where you just feel like you've lost steam or you're losing steam and you need a pick me up? Where are you? Are you focused? Is God exalted in your heart this morning? Think about your ups and your downs, your successes and your failures, your strengths and your weaknesses. And let the words of God, the the inspired word of God, which means God breathe, let God breathe his life into us this morning through his holy word. Because this message is intended for us. Psalm 46 to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our Fortress, Selah. It's pretty obvious that this song was broken into three different stanzas because they have the reflective word Selah in there. And uh, I don't know any Hebrew scholar that will die on their sword to say what it absolutely means. It still remains somewhat of a mysterious word, but most of them say, well, the word means to stop and reflect and pause And ponder what we're singing, ponder what we're hearing. And I think to myself, what else could it be when you stick a word right in the middle of a song? It's got to mean something like that, right? So it falls into three neat stanzas here. But I think that the main message is clear because it's implied in the first stanza and literally is repeated in the last line of stanzas two and three. And that is this message. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So God wants to talk to us this morning about this idea of being a fortress and being a refuge. So there's many things in here. But first of all, the refuge and strength of God we find in verses one through three. Let me just read verse one again. God is our refuge. Our fortress. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So I think the first most obvious thing that God wants to reveal about himself, he wants us to know this about himself as one of his many abilities, one of his many characteristics that he reveals to us. Here is another one. He is a refuge. He invites us. He invites himself or reveals himself to be the fortress kind of God, a refuge kind of God. He knows that we in our fallen nature are vulnerable to many things. He knows that many times in life we do feel weak and we don't feel safe. And we feel attacked. And he knows that so often we are just looking for a place, if not every day. Just looking for a place where we actually feel relieved. Where we can leave our burdens and our anxieties and those that attack us. We, somehow we can separate ourselves from those things. He knows that about us. We want, this, we want to find this danger-free zone, if you will. Personally, I think it is innate that every human being desires a place like this. Because I think that our hearts, not only do we have eternity in our hearts, I think every heart longs for Eden. Every heart longs for that paradise. That place where there was no evil. There were, there were no anxious thoughts. Nobody was out to get you. You're just safe. It was harmonic. And I think every heart strives to find Eden again. But only Christ can take us back to that. But God offers himself as a refuge and a fortress. Same word, different way to, to explain it. Now, I can't speak for girls, but I know this about guys. They love a fort. Growing up, I had countless forts. And none of them were grand. None of them were something that you would buy or see in books or in the movies. My fort, the, probably the best fort was a tree fort. And it was just a pallet that I managed as a little kid the best I could to put some nails through the pallet and into the tree. Just strong enough, barely strong enough to hold somebody up in there, a couple of us. But most of my forts... They didn't last long. They were makeshift. Most of the time I'd run into my bed and I'd pull the covers off of it and I'd run in the living room and I'd throw it over the couch or I'd throw it over the coffee table and I climbed in there. And that was my fort. The thing I liked about forts is that you're closed in. You just shut the rest of your life out. It's just you and your fort and... Not anybody gets into your fort. You got to be a special friend to get into the fort. You don't just let like your sisters and stuff. They can't come into your fort. Ruin it. You want tranquility. You want fun. You want safety. You want excitement. As a matter of fact, you don't bring all your toys into your fort. Just the ones you like the most. They're, they're walls. And imaginations run wild. In forts. I'd love to hear a female's take on that. Maybe theirs is the idea of nesting or something. I, I don't know. And it wasn't that my life was bad as bad off as a kid and I needed a place to escape. 
I had a great life. They said forts were just comforting. To, to, to temporarily be able to separate yourself from the demands of life. Maybe the anxieties. They're just cool. Forts were cool. But I think whether you're a man or a woman, everybody wants a place like that. Everybody wants to put some walls up and some barriers up and to keep the things out that you don't want, to only let the things in that you do want, because every heart and soul wants to feel safe, peaceful, wants to be excited about life and be joyful. Mm. People get weary of our living conditions. We get weary of this fallen, cursed world. I get weary of my own sin fighting against the spirit in the flesh. Day after day, it's taxing. And we want refuge from that. It's oppressive. Of course, if you follow the news, you will know that right now, right now in our world, in our day, there is a, a, a crisis of refugees and immigrants because of wars in and out of the world, wars and rumors of wars in different places of the world, because of oppressive leadership in different places of the world, because of oppressive religion in different places of the world. People are having to flee. They're looking for a place that they can just raise their families and live without having to look over their shoulders. Live without having to wonder about, if I take the time to build the structure, if I take the time to plant these crops, is somebody just going to destroy it again? They just, they're looking for a place and they're, they're risking life and limb just to find a place where they're welcome. Do you know that that's, that's our, one of our challenges that God has laid at our feet today in our generation? People looking for a safe place. Looking for a place where they are welcome. Looking for a country where they're safe and just can be left alone. Let me live my life at least. Well, the psalmist tells us in this psalm that he's found that place. The place that he finds to be safe. The place that his soul and spirit and thrive, the place where his hands can be productive is in the presence of God. It's in within the walls of the fortress and the refuge of God who invites people in to be safe, to be well cared for, to feel loved and comforted. I'm reminded in the New Testament of how Jesus puts it. One thing I really, really like about God is that he's just brutally honest. And you know what? Jesus comes and he's not another feel good religion. He's not another pie in the sky religion. He just tells his disciples, you're going to have tribulation in this world. It's a reality. It's a fact. You're going to suffer. You're going to bleed. You're going to sweat. You're going to hurt because Right now, you live in fallenness. So your fellow man has fallen and you're fallen. You fight against yourself and it's going to be tough. So in this world, you have tribulation. But he doesn't say that and just leave it there. And we're like, oh, man. But he only says that to set up the rest of the sentence. But I have overcome the world. 
He's he's overcome all of that that we're going to experience. It's on. It's in motion. It's in route. There's something dynamic that's happening many times behind the scenes. It's the kingdom of God that is coming upon the earth. Jesus brought it. He is the kingdom. And he has overcome these things. I love the way the New Testament puts it. But I believe that, and this isn't the only place, of course, in Scripture, and by no means the only place in the Psalms where God presents himself as a fortress and a refuge, or maybe even a rock. And I think that God constantly tells us, if we take the time to read his word, that's what we're going to be constantly reminded of. And I think, I think it's because he knows we need that. He knows we get tired of ourselves and we get tired of the world and we're, we're just looking for a place that is safe. I also think that he tells us this quite often because he knows that our human tendency, unfortunately, is to run into the arms of a false fortress. To run behind the wrong walls that aren't strong and can't keep these things out. And to run into things or to run into people or to trust people or things that are really only just going to make us that much more exasperated in our lives. So I think he tells us this because he knows we need it. And I think he tells us this constantly throughout Scripture because of our tendency to not run to him. What do you run to? Who or what do you run to? You know, when life just gets really hard and and the, the pretenses that we have put up start to come down and our our false bravada and the 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 things that are of the flesh begin to wear down because you can't be but so good sooner or later, you know, without God in it. And those things begin to come down. And what do we find ourselves putting our hope in? Like in the back of our mind, what are we saying? Yeah, that was that was a terrible day. Or, yeah, maybe he said that or she. But at least I can go home to this or at least I have this. What is it? What do we go to to find solace? Where do we take our hearts? Put them in the cart, wheelbarrow, what we take them where? We do what? What have we convinced ourselves? Yep, that's what my heart and soul needs. And I got it on reserve. As soon as I get out of this place, as soon as I can, I am going to it. People run to different things, you know. Some people run to money. Money is a security. And we have a tendency to think that if we can stockpile enough of it, invest enough of it, we have enough equity or material things. Hey, we're Americans. And as Americans, nobody in here has enough material things yet, right? We need more. Whatever's in our storage, whatever's in our basement, whatever's in our cars, we need, whatever it is, we need more. And there's plenty more offered to us every day through marketing. So enticing. And we start to believe, yep, that's what I need to feel safe. That's what I need to get rid of the anxiety in here and the restlessness in here. Restlessness in here. I need more things or I need more money. And Jesus taught a parable about that. It's false. It's false security. It's not a fortress. It's, it's not the way out. The man who accumulated or built more and more barns, 
to bring his soul rest. He thought, you know, one more barn, I'll fill it with grain. Then I'll really be able to kick back in my lazy boy and I won't have a care in the world. Not maybe one more. And what happens? Well, he dies. So do we, are we in control of our lives that much? Not even just the material things, but are we guaranteed the safety of how long we're going to live? We can't protect those things. And they all have their place, of course. It's something reassuring about having some money in the bank. But that's not unstoppable. Only God is unstoppable. Only God is unshakable. Only God can truly be trusted. If we're running to anything other than God, we're running to the wrong thing. I recently read a little bit of a tangent, but I recently just read this article about uh, politics and um, riches and our retirement and Social Security and all of that. And all the politicians know, and it's, it's a fact, it's not even debatable, but that the money there, uh, while the money that's supposed to be there for Social Security and many retirement accounts is not there in real life. It's not there. They know that. But you don't dare say that if you're running for office and Neither side or neither party will come out and mention the fact that I hate to tell you this, guys, but we got a problem. You don't have what you think you have. Matter of fact, some municipalities have already uh, filed for bankruptcy, and so people don't have it in real life. um, Anyway, so this idea that we can actually get to a place where we don't have to worry anymore. Secure, man, I got this retirement. I got that. I got this in savings. We don't know. It's vulnerable. It has ups and downs. And it's happened in history. It's not, a, it's not a sure thing. We don't want to put our our security there or run behind that. Some people uh, try to gain their security through their own independence. Hey, I'm a survivor. I know what the world can throw at me. And I'm going to learn every skill. And I'm going to learn everything I need to know to overcome it. So if this happens, I got it covered. If this happens, I got that covered. And this happens, I got that covered. I got everything. So I'm trusting in myself and my own skills. That's a dangerous thing to do. I will never forget uh, when Lisa and I were basically living in the Ronald McDonald house about 19 years ago as our son Joel was struggling for his life in the hospital. And so we were there so we could be close because every day was a, a battle and a struggle. And it was... Um, uh, to say the least, it was incredibly taxing on us. I mean, we just were drained. Uh, and you know that any parent that has to endure something like that, a sick child, and then later on a child that only lived for two months. I mean, every day it just took any little bit of energy we had out of us. And, and we would think every day we say, God, I can't. I can't do this. I don't I just don't have it in me. And God was so faithful. Every morning he would meet us. In his word, we'd just sit and read different things in his word. And it would be exactly what we need. And he'd blow us back up and put wind in our sails again to face that day in the strength of the Lord. It was a beautiful thing. And I remember um, we had a conversation with one of the volunteers there. And she was a young lady, I think about 20. And we were telling her a story and we... And we're like, we're so grateful that we have God to take us through this time that we can't do on our own. What do you trust in? What gets you through 
the hard times in your life. And she said, I trust in myself. I trust in myself to get me through the hard times of life. In other words, I I have everything I need right here. There's nothing that can happen to this world or to me or to my spirit that I can't handle. I don't need to trust anything else. And I just, my heart went out. Because she hadn't been squeezed yet. She just hadn't been squeezed. So we want to be careful that we don't run behind things that are, are useful and helpful skills. Sure, independent, sure. But that's not the rock. That can be penetrated. We're mortal. And, and the world's going to come after us. And that tribulation's going to get us. And with the intent of squeezing the junk out of us. We're not bulletproof. And then our, another thing that we often look to through life as man. That's, yep, that's what I need. That thing right there is relationship. You know, a good family life or a good relationship. My life, uh, I see my life and I got it all planned out. But there's one thing missing and it's this. It's a marriage partner or it's a significant other or it's a strong family. It's just some kind of human relationship. And my life is incomplete without this. So I'm just going to live incompletely until God or until whatever happens. And then I have this thing. And we think that when I get that, well, problem solved. Cool, calm, and collect, smooth sailing from here. And we put a burden on something that was never intended to carry the joy and the weight of our hearts. We, we, we can't burden people to say, you have to perform in a certain way so my life can be happy and full. That's just bondage. Nobody can do that. Relationships can be ordained and they're a great means of grace, but they too are volatile. We don't want to put our well-being in the hands of somebody else. It's not right. It ruins things. Only God is unshakable. Only God is trustworthy. Luther put it like this in his hymn, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Do you see that we're being invited this very morning? We as God's children are being invited into his fort. The secret place, the safe place. Only select friends, children can come in. Only certain things are allowed. The walls are thick. You're not going to get through God to get to his children. What an invitation. And he says he's a present help. No, it's not Monday through Fridays and on weekends he's off. And he doesn't put us on hold. Have you ever been on hold? Wow. Only to speak to? Not a real person. And then be put on hold by a not a real person. A little bit annoying. God's not like that. And it's not like, yeah, I'll help you if I'm in the right mood. I Yesterday, we were eating lunch. By the way, I jumped right into my sermon. And I had two things to thank God for. Thank God for John Rosema, who preached last week in my absence. I appreciate your faithfulness. And I understand that there were not many here. 
But I also know that that very message is on the website. Please listen to it. John is well read in the area of Christianity, history and biographies. And so you're going to be well informed and treated to stories and biographies. People in this message about going after the lost sheep, that one sheep leaving the ninety nine. I encourage you to hear that message from John. And the second thing I was supposed to thank everybody for before I went into this was thank you for those that worked yesterday, came out to the work day. I haven't seen the grounds look this good in years. You worked so hard. Everybody had a good attitude as far as I could see. I didn't see anybody uh, chasing anybody with rakes or hedge clippers or anything or stabbing each other with shovels. They just showed up. They worked. They worked hard and were well fed and everything. Thank you so much. For that, and you see the fruit of their labor, it's very obvious. Yesterday, when we were eating lunch, I overheard a child's conversation. It's so neat to overhear children when they talk, and sometimes they forget adults are around. And this one child said, When I'm in a good mood and happy, I like to work. But when I'm not in a good mood and I'm not happy, I don't like to work. And I just thought, ah, the innocence, it's just true. You know, adults have the same thoughts, but we're not going to tell each other that. I'd I'd rather be home out here. No, this is great. Putting mulch on the church. The innocence. But God doesn't just help us when he's in a good mood. You know, he's he's there all the time and he's God. He's unchanging. He's awesome. So. Beg to ask the question, what, uh, what or who do we run to in our time of need? As the people of God, one of the ways that we can be salt and light in a community among people, and you know their hearts are longing for this, is by displaying that we indeed go to God. That's where we run for everything. The political upheaval that we're experiencing the divisiveness in our nation. Talk about vulnerability. I'm so, it's ad nauseum sick of this stuff. We don't want to put our hope in politics either. Our hope is in God. And the world needs to see that there is another way. There's a person to run to that is solid as a rock. And we can be salt and light by taking all the hardships that we experience in life and taking them, no, not to showing them our bank account, not showing them our our political favor or our great strong marriage that's getting us through this life. Uh, uh-uh, It's God. It's God. That's where I take it. That's where my hope is in. It is the God of the Bible. There is no other. And we need to teach our kids the same thing. We need to make sure that we're not inadvertently teaching them to run to the wrong things and trust in the wrong things. And so if times get hard and you know, somebody, the, the child comes home from school and said, you know, my, my friend Bob, Billy and Joey and such and such, their dads, they lost their jobs. Or, what are we going to do? Are we going to lose? Are you going to lose your job? Are we secure? Are we OK? You, know, you don't what you don't want to say as well. They did lose their job. But let me show you our checkbook based on this much money. Don't worry, we're going to be OK. What did you just do? You just taught your child to trust in your checkbook. You say, well, look, son or daughter, we have considerable amount of money in the bank. But let me just tell you why we're safe and secure. (laughs) Because God's our fortress. It's God. 
This, what we have can come and go. And you're seeing that in some of your friends' lives. We trust in God. Your mother and I have a strong marriage. We have a, a, a great marriage. But it's only strong because we trust in God. That, that's where it is. And that's how we're salt. And that's how we're light. And that's what disciples of Christ do. When we, when we meet hard times, we model it to each other. And we model it to our children. And then a second truth, powerful truth in here. Is that not only is God our fortress, but God is our strength. We were treated to, I think, a verse in Colossians in Sunday school where the Apostle Paul said, I'm able to do the things I can do because of God's strength. God is our strength here. He's promising to be that for us. Have you ever felt weak? Well, God is your strength. God is the answer to these Things. He's the source of inner strength that enables us to live through the tribulations and the calamities of this world and not be overcome because Christ has overcome the world. So not only does he invite us into his fort, but he he gives us the vitality that we need to live lives that glorify him. You know, the strength of God is a mysterious thing. Because often you read that and you picture yourself, you know, with with. Um, Schwarzenegger muscles, God has strengthened me. And you're just ready to take anything on. You got this confidence. You get out into the mission field. God strengthened me. I'm going to take over this whole island. I'm taking over the Middle East with the gospel. And you just feel empowered. And I can just tell you that in my Christian spirit experience, I felt that way like maybe this many times. Whenever God calls me to a task, the strength of God is mysterious. Most of the time for me, it's not this great invigorating feeling. I'm going to stand behind this pulpit and I can do this thing. And God, I already got the strength oozing out of me. It's more like, hey, you want me to do what, Lord? Okay. And somehow you just step, trust and obey. You walk out in obedience. And then after you've done it, you look back and you say, wow, that was God's strength. I didn't think I could do that. That's my experience in my Christian life. It's a mysterious thing. And it's and it's fueled not necessarily by feelings are great. And if you if you have a boost of confidence or or maybe it's faith or whatever, that's a wonderful thing. And and embrace that. But I think that it's at least for me, it's a very rare thing. Most of the time living in the strength of God is more a matter of trust and obey, trust and obey. And then the strength of God comes. Very seldom does he give it up front, I think. I think the reason is because what happens is we get used to this feeling of God upon us. And then we don't do anything until we have this feeling of God upon us. And what we don't realize is what we just did is turn God into a feeling. And so then we read what God says objectively in his word and we say, well, I don't feel that. I can't do that. I can't I can't share the gospel like that. I, I'm waiting for that feeling that I had three months ago or that feeling I had when I was first a believer. Man, when you just like cleared the way for me, 10,000 fell at my arms here. God's not a feeling. And he wants us to worship him and to love him and to trust in him and not to wait for our 
emotional green lights and red lights to change in our sanctification. The good news about this is that what, what the Bible teaches is that you don't have to feel like you can do it. The strength of God, God's saying, I've promised myself to you. I've pledged myself to you. I have the power. And as you go, I am with you. Which means that we can do incredibly more than we think or feel that we can do for the, for the kingdom of God. That's part of the good news. So you, you can be that husband or that man of God where you thought, well, I can never do that. I could never be that. Or that woman or that, that wife that you know, well, I couldn't live in that kind of relationship. Or you can endure that marriage that's going through such hardship and you think, I can't do another day of this. Yes, you can. Or going into the mission field or fulfilling the ministry or the calling that God has on your life, whatever it is, God gives the strength. And you don't have to wait for the feeling when He's already promised the strength. Two different things. You put one foot in front of the other. You put the foot called trust in front of the foot of obedience. And then you just do the same thing to the glory of God. He's our fortress and he's our strength. I'm going to really abbreviate the last two points for time's sake. We already read verses four through seven talks about the city of God and the river that runs through it. The bottom line is this in those verses. If God is in your midst, everything changes. If God is in your midst, everything changes. He's a holy habitation. That's what verses 4 through 7 teach. God is in the city. And it's referring to the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. And because God is there day and night, his armies, his protective coat. He has powers. He makes things happen. He prevents things from happening. If God is there, everything changes. God, if God is in your life, his presence is there. Everything changes. It makes a huge difference. They are well protected and cared for. And then the last verses, the nations of God in 8 through 11 Again, the bottom line is that in the end, God wins and the nations will honor him. It's the bottom line of those verses. In the end, God says, I will be all those people who resist me, all those people who fail to acknowledge me as the only true God. In the end, they will acknowledge me. I will win. Man has robbed him of his due glory, but that is a short future. The future of all mankind is that God will be exalted because God rules and reigns. He's the only rightful king and no one can stand against him. There's a verse in here that uh, I've heard quoted many times. You ever hear? Anybody say to you, be still and know that I am God. And I want you to know that in this context, and many times we use it like this as I wind down. But in this context, be still and know that I am God. It's not an invitation for us to put away our phones and any distraction and to get in our little quiet place and just be still and contemplate what God's doing in our life and maybe gain some new insights. In this context, what it means is this. 
Give up. Give up. You can't fight me. You can't win this battle. In this context, we're talking about a a major battle here. And Christ brings peace to the earth. And he doesn't do it through an open invitation around the round table for peace negotiations and talks. He brings peace by overcoming, overpowering his enemies. And God is saying, stop fighting. You ever get in a fight with your brother and sister and they get you on the ground and, or you get them on the ground and you got them in this lock and you're saying, do you give? Do you give? Do you, I'm going to hold you here all day until you give. This is it. This is God saying, I am God. Stop fighting against me. There is no future in this. Surrender to me. Give. There is no other. That's the true context for that very popular verse. Lay down your arms. Acknowledge me as the one and only victorious God because that's what I am. James Boyce says, if you will not surrender now, you will do so one day in spite of yourself. Though it will be for judgment rather than blessing. And that's because God is God and in the end it will be his power and holiness that are exalted. No one can hope to resist him. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted In the earth, the Lord of hosts is with us. Let God be praised. Think about what has been brought to you in the congregation of the Holy Ones, the saints of God. This message for you, God's word for you. And now we have an opportunity to see We have an opportunity to reflect and ponder what God wants to do in our hearts. And as we worship him and come to the table this morning... May ministry take place between your spirit and God's. He wants to connect. He knows what's in your heart and mind. And that's why we're here. So let's give ourselves to a time of praise and worship. May God bless the preaching of his word.